Good morning. So Bill asks a very good question. Uh, at church this week, our pastor referred to us as God's elect and chosen. This kind of confused me. I've always considered the dependents of Abraham were the elect and chosen, and the Gentiles are the bride of Christ. What are your views on this? Well, thanks for asking the question. It's a good one. And um, and one of the reasons why it's a good question is because it reminds us that terms matter. When we use terminology, we want to you know, try to make sure, not try, we definitely want to make sure we are as accurate as we can be with that. We don't want to sort of sloppily apply terms where they may or uh, where they may not apply. And so that being said, this raises a good point, but it also asks again a good question too. So the question of elect and chosen, you know, we think of Israel as God's chosen people, right? We understand that term. Uh, matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 7, I opened it to it before we started here this morning, but uh, listen to what the Lord says here in uh, Deuteronomy 7. Uh, verse 6, uh, not speaking through Moses, but this is speaking on behalf of the Lord. Uh, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Now, we see two terms there in just that statement that kind of speak to what we're talking about here. The first is, wasn't strictly speaking part of the question, but it's an important thing to bring up. For you are a holy people. Uh, the Hebrew term there, kadash or kadesh. Of course, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it correctly, but it's a term that is akin to our New Testament term hagias, or the idea of a saint, somebody who is um, set apart. And the term there in the Hebrew speaks of a people who are specifically set apart by God. And he goes on then to say that he has chosen you, speaking to Israel. Again, these are God's chosen people. He selected them, and Abraham specifically is the progenitor for the Hebrew people. He selected Abraham and this group of people from all of the peoples of the earth and made his own special people out of them. And so when we think of the chosen people, we generally tend to lean toward the idea of of Israel, Okay, the descendants of Abraham in that. Um, The idea of elect also actually has Old Testament uh, connection with um, with Israel as well. Um, here we would turn to uh, where is it here? Uh, Isaiah chapter sixty five, and in verse nine, for example. Uh, here we go. Uh, I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah as an heir of my mountains. So we know who's in view here. The idea of God's chosen people, Israel's in view. Uh, the descendants of Jacob and from Judah, even being specific in this case. But he goes on then to say, my elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. Again, the idea of the elect, those that have been selected, uh, chosen, um, ultimately um, you know, by the Lord, these are his people in this kind of thing. So both terms are utilized in applying uh, and applied to Israel in the Old Testament. You could even argue that some of the same terminology is used uh, in the New Testament when Jesus refers uh, back to some Old Testament references. But what about the church? Are these terms also applied to the church? Well, I mean, in terms of election, clearly uh, we see the term elect applied uh, in the New Testament sense as well. Paul, for example, in Romans applies it both to the Jews and referring to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, but also to the church as well. One of the passages that I tend to turn to in this regard when it comes to this use of the term is actually found in Colossians uh, chapter 3, verse 12 where Paul says this to the church in Colossae, which is a Gentile church. Uh, Not that there were no Jewish believers in Colossae, but by and large, this is known predominantly as a Gentile church. And therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering, and so on. But again, as the elect, speaking to the church, uh, the bride of Christ, okay? 
Now, again, the church, it's, it's important to understand, is a unique entity from Jew and Gentile, both in terms of its distinction between Jews and Gentiles uh, as individual groups, but also uh, it is distinct in that it is a bringing together of Jews and Gentiles into a specific entity known as the body or the church or the body of the bride of Christ or the body of Christ. But let me uh, actually have you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, just to touch on this for a moment. We actually read from this passage yesterday in church as well. But let me just go ahead and take a portion of what we read yesterday, um, looking at chapter 2, verse 14, where Paul, uh, again, writing to a, 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 a church, predominantly a Gentile church, but again, uh, Jewish believers do make up the body of Christ. But here it is. So he says, for he himself is our peace. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might re- uh, reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity or the uh, uh, animosity to, uh, of these two groups toward each other. He brings them together in unity in one new body, which we refer to as the church. In verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who are far off, in other words, you Gentiles, and also to those who were near, the Jews, those who were the covenant people of God. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And so, uh, whereas in the old covenant, um, the elect, the chosen of God, God's chosen people, Israel, had a very special relationship with them. Paul would go on to say, uh, talk about this in Romans uh, chapter 3, what benefit is there then uh, uh, for Israel? Much in every way to them was committed the oracles of God. And, and, and more, you know, they were God's covenant people. He dwelt among them. They were his own special possession in that. And by the way, I always want to make sure I insert the fact that they still are. Uh, eschatologically, it's important to recognize the distinctions between the church and Israel in terms of eschatology. Um, Israel as a nation, uh, Zechariah talks about this in Zechariah 9, uh, also in um, in um, Romans 11, Paul refers to this idea as well, the idea that Israel will be saved. Okay. Now, Zechariah 13 tells us that it is a remnant within Israel that ultimately will enter into the millennium, but ultimately God will be faithful to honor his promises to his chosen people and they shall be saved and enter into the millennium as believers in Christ. Um, so, but in space and time today, right now, prior to that period of time, uh, there is an important distinction to be made between God's working through Israel, the nation, and also God's working through the church. There is, of course, the idea that uh, those who are in the church are spiritual Israel by virtue of believing by faith like believing Abraham, but there is still a distinction to be made uh, theologically, eschatologically, just throughout Scripture, of the entity, national, ethnic, Israel, and also the church. But that being said, I don't want to uh, get too far off track on that. Now, the term again, um, elect, is referring to the church in the New Testament as well. So the term is used of both the uh, Israel and also the church. Now, it's important to recognize, by the way, that in um, in there is a different Hebrew term and a different Greek term in the Old and New Testaments when we use these. However, understanding the definitions of these two terms, it we understand that the same concept, separated unto or chosen, selected, these terms are defined similarly. So they are different terms because in Hebrew they wouldn't have used a, a term from a language that Sometimes it hadn't even existed yet. 
and, and likewise in Greek, they wouldn't necessarily adopt the Hebrew term, but in their own language, they would use a term that meant the same thing. And so, yeah, Kodesh and Hagioi or Hagios in that would be terms that are specific to those languages, but their definitions align. And so when we see these terms used of both, we're really interested in recognizing that both groups of people, both the Jews in the Old Testament and also the church, are referred to both as elect and both as cho- and also as chosen. Matter of fact, I, I guess I didn't uh, go yet to First Corinthians chapter one just to kind of finish that thought, and then uh, we'll close with one final thought. Uh, in chapter one of First Corinthians, you'll notice that Paul writes, starting in verse twenty-six: "For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things, or selected the foolish things of the world to put together to shame the wise." And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. Well, who's he referring to when he talks about choosing uh, both the foolish and the weak things? He's referring to believers, to the church, to, to the Christians. And so the idea of that term being applied to us as having been selected uh, also finds application to the church as it also did with Israel. Now, I mentioned the eschatological element there because that has to come into the discussion. We have to understand those things. I've spoken to those at length in other uh, episodes, and we will no doubt do it again. For our purposes here today, um, I, I won't go too far into that other than what I've already said. But what about this idea of the, of the bride of Christ? Um, this, again, connects with the passage in Ephesians that we read. And I'll, I'll actually uh, have you look at one more passage uh, in Ephesians here, too. Uh, I want to close with this thought, which is why we didn't read it just a moment ago. Um, now, the term is not specifically used here per se, but in um, uh, in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 24, it's the term is not used, but the implication is clear. Um, um, in his discussion on marriage and the roles of, of husbands and wives in, in, in living out their marriage as God has designed, um, uh, you'll notice here in verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify, again, set apart, and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And so the implication there is that much like a husband and wife in their marriage relationship have this place, and the husband's job is to set apart further and further the wife, uh, uh, to the Lord in that, in holiness and washing her with the water of the word. But it's the relationship of husband to wife that is in view. And Christ, in comparison to his church, is seen in that light in this passage. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, in verse 32, he makes that point. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. There is a marital type of relationship between Christ and his church that is expressed and best exemplified in in our world today through the, the the vehicle of marriage. It's intended to represent this relationship with Christ in the church. Well, who is that? Again, in Acts chapter, or in um, Ephesians chapter 2, we see that it is both Jew and Gentile, those who were f- far off called in, those who were near called in, so that the enmity would be brought down and they would bring peace to these two entities in in one brand new entity known as the church or the bride of Christ. So, um, so hopefully that answers the question and hopefully I didn't go too far 
beyond and answering the question. Sometimes I can be a little wordy. I like the scenic route, but hopefully there's some value in that today. So thanks for asking the question, Bill. That was a really good one. Hopefully uh, if any others were kind of wrestling with some of those things a little bit, we provided a little light for that as well. But uh, as always, if you have any questions or comments or anything like that, you can leave them on our YouTube channel in the comments section. You're also welcome to email me like uh, Bill actually did in this case. He emailed me at Pastor Brian at CalvaryChapelFranklin.com. And uh, you can also watch these videos not only on our YouTube channel, but also on our church's website at CalvaryChapelFranklin.com. Also on my personal website at ParsonsPad.com. These links are all in the comments section. They're all in the uh, the notes section of the, of the posts. So thank you all for watching and listening and uh, looking forward to catching up with you next time. But until then, may the Lord bless and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace forever. Father, we do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.